The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Thank you, ladies. Beautiful. Take your copy of God's Word, please, and turn to the last book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. We preached in February on strong families. We're preaching this month on strong finances. Next month, we're going to be preaching on strong faith. And then in May, we want to preach on strong finish. And uh, I'm glad to say I've seen some growth in a couple of areas. Paul, I've seen some new faces in the choir. The choir loft looks fuller than it has in the last several months. We're glad, grateful for those new faces up there. You still have a few chairs, I see, though, so we still got place for you there. Our Sunday school attendance, that was up in the month of February, around 25 more per Sunday than it was last year. So that's a good sign. Uh, but our offerings have not caught up. Now, part of the problem for that is because we've had unseasonable weather this year. Now, I know that really shouldn't make a difference. Uh, I want to tell you, uh, whether or not you come to church, the work of the church goes on. But a lot of people, a lot of our people, have not earned the spiritual maturity to know that if they don't come to church, they ought to send their offerings on anyway. Uh, because uh, there may be times when you can't be in church. I won't be here next Sunday. I'll be at First Baptist Center Point. Uh, but I will assure you this, my tithes and offerings will be here. Um, because uh, if I'm here or not, I give uh, my tithes and offerings to the Lord because I want his blessings. Adrian Rogers said this, You'll always do more with nine-tenths and God as your partner than you do with ten-tenths by yourself. And so I want you to understand today as I preach on tithing, God is not interested in your money. God is interested in your heart. But if God does not have your money, then probably God does not have your heart. And that's exactly what happened in the days of Israel. Let's stand together as we show our respect for the reading of God's word. Reading from Malachi chapter 3 verses 7 through 12. This is the word of the living God. Since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You ask, how do we rob you? By not pay, making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not rain upon the produce of your land and your vine in the field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Now, I want to set the stage for this. This was the last book written at the end of the Old Testament. Malachi prophesied about 400 years B.C. And Malachi had a specific message from God to the people of Israel. And the message from God was this. We have a problem. And hear what the problems are. And Malachi speaks for God and the way he does that is he asks a question and then gives an answer according to what the people's opinion is. 
And so as we read this passage, he's dealing with the problem of not bringing the tithe into the storehouse along with contributions. I love this translation because it says, by not making the payments of the tenth. Uh, I think I told you last week that I believe I owe God my tithe. When God blesses me, I owe God my tithe. Now, anything I give over and above the tithe is a contribution or an offering. And I'm free to do that as God leads. But the tithe goes to the storehouse. But God says through Malachi, he has a problem with his people. Notice, first of all, it's not just a problem today. It was a past problem. He says, since the days of your fathers. You know, one of the things that happens in a country is uh, the Bible says the sins of the fathers are visited onto the children. And a lot of people were not taught to tithe as children. Uh, I had a lady who left the service this morning, Miss Mills, and she said, Brother Mike, my mother taught me to tithe. She said, when I was a little girl, we went to a little church, and they needed somebody to clean the church on Saturday. And she said, every Saturday, I would go to the church, and I would sweep it out, and I would empty the garbage cans, and I would make sure everything was ready for Sunday morning, and they would pay me a dollar. And she said, every Sunday, when we started to go to church, my mother would say, have you put your dime for your tithe in your offering envelope? Now, I don't know how old Mrs. Mills is. She's a widow. I will, I'll tell you this, I, I know she's past the uh, 80 mark. I know that. Uh, and, and, and she says she still practices that, and God blesses her for it. She was taught by her mother to tithe. I was taught by my father to tithe. I tithed before I was saved. You say, did you want to? No, I had to. Uh, I was forced to. Uh, my dad said, if you live in my house and eat my food and sleep in my bed and breathe my air, you're going to tithe if you live in this house. And so I became a tither. As soon as I got a job, I had a paper out. I had to tithe off my paper out. I started working at the A&P grocery store. I had to tithe off my A&P grocery store income. And I learned at, even though I was not even saved then, I wasn't saved until several months later. Uh, but I was taught to tithe by my father. But in Malachi's day, the fathers themselves were not tithing. He said this is a past problem as well as a present problem. It's also a personal problem. Notice, since the days of your fathers, you. I mean, Malachi just says it, you. He's kind of like Nathan who went to David when David was king and had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he told a story, and David got mad at the story. And he said, that man will pay fourfold for what he did. And Nathan pointed his bony prophet finger in David's face and said, you're the man. Malachi points his bony prophet's finger in the face of every Israelite living 400 years before Christ came. And he said, it is a personal problem with you, you individually. And then it's a particular problem. Here's what it is. You have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Now, I'm going to tell you, I really can't translate this because that's really not emphatic enough. This is a Hebrew parallelism. If you read the Psalms and if you read the Proverbs, you will see two thoughts that run along together. 
And what that does is the first one intensifies the second, and the second one intensifies the first. It is kind of a double whammy. And he said, here's the problem. You have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Another illustration of, of Hebrew parallelism is when God uh, sent the prophet uh, to tell one of the kings of Israel that he was going to die. And I don't know if you remember that story or not, but the prophet came in and God said, tell him he's not going to live. said, here's what you're to tell him. You shall not surely live. You shall die. And that's exactly what he said. Well, when he said it, that parallelism reinforced it. Old King Hezekiah turned against the wall and started weeping. And before the prophet left the courtyard, God said, I've heard his prayer. Go back and tell him I'm going to give 15 years to his life. And so the prophet went back and told Hezekiah, you're getting 15 years. You know what the old king said? He said, prove it. He said, if I get 15 more years of life, have the sun move back. Now, I want to tell you, that, that's asking for proof right there. I mean, that's asking the whole universe to change. But you know what? God said, I'm going to let him test me in this. And so, sure enough, the sundial moved back. Now, I know some of you scientific minds out there saying, that couldn't happen. That's not possible. The law of gravity would be repealed and people would go flying off into outer space and never be seen again. Listen, don't worry about that. You let God be God and you just be you and you and God will be happier about that. Amen? Don't try to tell God what he can and cannot do. He already stopped the sun one time when they were battling and the children of Israel were winning. And Joshua said, Lord, don't let the sun go down. We've got them on the run. And again, the sun stood still until they won the victory. Don't tell God what he can and can't do. But God says, we, got it. we have a problem. You've turned from my statutes. You've not kept them. Notice this. It was not a matter of ignorance. It was a matter of rebellion against God. Now I want to tell you young parents something. If you don't already know this. If you don't teach your children to obey when they're young, they will not obey when they're older. That's why the Bible says train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. James Dobson says you punish a child not for accidents, but for rebellion. You say, preacher, where does that rebellion come from? You know where your kids got it from? I'm going to tell you, they got it from you, okay? You say, Brother Mike, do you say that about your own kids? Absolutely. You know, the bad thing about it is my wife has a lot of outstanding qualities. In fact, my wife probably only has maybe two or three qualities that aren't just simply outstanding. I myself have a number of qualities that aren't outstanding. I'm, I'm having to be honest. You know, when you're preaching the pulpit, you don't tell the truth, you'll all be struck dead, so... I have a lot of uh, qualities that are less than outstanding. You know what happened to our kids? They inherited the worst of mine and the worst of their mothers. You know what? There's an old deceiver named the devil. And he loves to see children rebel against their parents. And he loves to see parents just let their children go wild. Now I want to tell you, young people that are here in this service, if your parents put a put a hedge around you, a hedge of protection around you. You know why they did that? 
They didn't do that because they don't want you to have any fun. They did that so you would learn that some things are wrong and you need to stay away from them. I still can't get the young man that was killed in that traffic accident on Highway 119 out of my mind. If that boy had done what he was told to do, he would be with his mother in Montgomery right now. He was told, do not cross Highway 119, go to KFC, go to McDonald's. He willfully chose to ignore what he was told. That is rebellion. And what happened to that young man? It cost him his life. It broke his mother's heart. And he was a Boy Scout. And there is a Scout law that says a Scout is obedient. Listen, folks, if Scouts are obedient, God's children ought to be obedient. God's problem with his people. But then God makes a proposal, some proposals to his people, not just one. And the first thing he says is, return to me, and I will return to you. Now, the word return in the Old Testament is the New Testament word for repent. It doesn't just mean a change of attitude. It means a change of attitude that leads to a change of action. You can change your attitude, but if your attitude doesn't change your action, then nothing is really changed. God calls them to repent. How can we return to you? He says that right next. He says, bring the full 10% into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. This is a specific command to do a specific task. Now, some of you are going to say, yeah, Brother Mike, but those were Jews under law. We're Christians under grace, and we don't have to do what the law says. Do you know what Jesus said about the law? Let me remind you what Jesus said about the law. First of all, he said, I am not come to destroy the law. I am come to fulfill the law. And he also said, not one tittle of the law will pass away. In other words, the law is permanent. Even though we're under grace, but you know, if you're under grace, you shouldn't break the Ten Commandments. I'm going to tell you that. If you're under grace, you should. And you know all this hoopla about taking God out of society? The other day, you know what I saw on television? I saw that the atheists now are mad because there is a cross made of steel girders from the trade center that were made when the center collapsed on 9-11, and it's in the museum, and atheists are complaining because there's a cross in the World Trade Center Memorial. I want to tell you, that cross reminds us of losses. You know, if you go to military cemeteries, you know what most of the stones are from the old days? They're crosses. Now, every now and then you'll see a Star of David. Every now and then you'll see something else. But in the old military cemeteries, you'd see crosses. The world hates the cross. But we should not do anything less under the blood of Jesus than the Jews did. And by the way, I read John MacArthur this week. He's got an interesting little book called Giving God's Way. Barry, I don't know if you've ever looked at it or not. But if you added up all the tithes that the Jews had to pay... Their tithe was not merely 10% because there were other tithes on top of the tithes. Their tithe was really about 23%. You say, well, why don't you preach that? Listen, it's hard enough to get Baptists to give 10%, all right? Some of them be saying, well, we can't read that Hebrew. We don't know what that says. Listen, 
And by the way, you say, well, does the church practice what we preach? Absolutely. We give 14% off the top to missions. 14%, not 10%, 14%. Have for years. God says, return to me. Bring the full 10% into the storehouse. And then he says something that's really unique. He says, test me in this way. That blows my mind. Test me in this way. The Holy One of Israel tells the people that he led out of bondage in Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey to test me in this way. The prophet faithfully records the words that God gave him. And I want you to know this. God always passes the test with flying colors. Do you remember when Satan in the temptation of Jesus took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and said, Jesus, cast yourself down from here. And if you do, the angels are going to catch you. You remember what Jesus said to him? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. The Hebrew word for tempt and the Hebrew word for test are the same word. And yet here, Malachi has been told by the Holy Spirit to tell the people they can put God to the test. You know why? God always passes the test. I'll be honest with you, I didn't pass every test I ever took. I took a course called statistics. In fact, I took it twice. I signed up for it when I was a freshman. And I took my first test. I made a 98 on my first statistics test. I said, whoo-hoo, the old boy knows statistics. Next test we took, I made a 60. And that was lucky. It probably should have been a 30. And I went to see my professor I said, what's my grade? He said, well, right now you've got a C minus. And I said, sign this. He said, what's that? I said, that's a withdrew passing card. I'm going to turn this into the registrar. He said, son, you have to have this course to graduate. I said, not this semester I don't. I'm a freshman. You know when I took that statistics course again? In Jan term, my senior year. I had two weeks of statistics, hours every day of statistics. I felt like Job. I was going, woe is me. I can't do these statistic problems. I got a math major to tutor me. I went to see the professor the day before our final. I said, how am I doing? He said, well, son, you got the second highest grade in the class. So all you have to do to pass is make a C on the final. I made a C on the final. I passed the test for the final. But you know what? I didn't pass all the tests in between there. That's why I need to make a C on the final to pass. But I want to tell you this. God never failed a test. God never failed a test. And you can depend on God. Test me in this way. So we see God's problem with his people and then God's proposals to his people. But boy, we have some great promises to his people. Notice, first of all, there's a renewal of faith. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. God says, when you walk in my blessing, when you walk in obedience to my commands, I am going to bless you in such a way you won't be able to receive it all. He says, I'm going to open the floodgates of heaven. Now, he's not just saying that. He means it. 
You know, God says what he means, and he means what he says. And he says, if you want my blessings, you first of all bring the tithe to the storehouse. Now, listen, don't do it just to get the blessing. Do it because you love God, because you want to be obedient to him. But he says, if you do it, I'll do this. I'll open the floodgates of heaven. Not only will he give you a renewal of faith, he'll rebuke the foes. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. Now, the Jews did a lot of farming. They did a lot of raising sheep and goats and cattle and donkeys and camels. And they knew what it was like to have to make a crop. And they knew what it was like to depend on the rain. And they knew what it was like if you didn't get the right rain at the right time, you wouldn't have any crops. If you didn't have any crops, you couldn't feed your animals. You couldn't feed your animals. You couldn't pay your bills. You couldn't pay your bills. You couldn't survive. But God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to rebuke, rebuke the devourer. I'm going to rebuke the locust. I'm going to rebuke the drought. I'm going to do all that to show you who I am. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but you have a foe. You have a foe. Every Christian in this house has a foe. The devil hates you. Do you know why the devil hates you? Because you belong to God. Some of you say, well, I don't belong to God. Does the devil hate me? Oh, no, he doesn't hate you. He's laughing about you. I don't belong to God. The devil says, I got you right where I want you. He's like, preacher, that's a mean thing for you to say. Listen, I've read the book. There are places in the book where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Some people sitting in this church this morning, more than likely, will one day stand before Jesus and they'll say, I'm saved. I heard Brother Mike preach down at First Baptist Pelham. And he said, God loved me and Jesus died for me. And I thought in my mind, Jesus loves me and died for me, but I never did anything about it. And God says, I never knew you. You see, it's more than just hearing the word. You have to do something about it. What have you done about the word since you've heard it? He'll rebuke your foe. And that foe's the devil. But then he'll restore your fr fruitfulness so that it will not ruin the produce of your grounds and your vine in your field will not be barren. God said he would restore their fruitfulness. I may be speaking to some people in here and you used to show the fruits of the Spirit. You know what the fruits of the Spirit are evident of? The Holy Spirit living the life of Jesus Christ in a believer. There's nothing extraordinary about that. We drove in last night through Chilton County. I love Chilton County. I love folks who live in Chilton County. They've been good to me over the years. And I tell you, one thing I love about Chilton County is they have the best peaches in the world. I know some of you Georgia people may want to argue, well, when you get to be pastor and you stand up here, you can say Georgia peaches are better, but I've never had a Georgia peach that hold a candle to a Chilton County clear seed peach. But you know what I guarantee you wasn't happening last night when I drove in the dark through Chilton County? I guarantee you those fruit trees out there, those peach trees out there in those peach orchards, Brother Phil, they weren't standing there last night going, Oh, I hope I can grow a peach. Oh, I hope I can grow a peach. 
If I don't grow a peach, they're going to cut me down and throw me in the fire. Oh, I hope I grow a peach. If that's the silliest thing I've ever heard, yeah, it is. You think peach trees worry about having peaches? No, they don't worry about it. Now, the farmer worries about it. And maybe the people that the farmer owes worry about it. But the peach tree just stands there. And I want to tell you, when peach seeds, when peach trees blossom, a lot of things have to happen for that blossom to become a peach. There got to be other fruit trees around it. It's got to be pollinated. There've got to be some insect spray on it. You'll get peaches, and they'll be the wormiest, nastiest peaches you've ever seen in your life. There's a lot of things that have to happen for a peach tree to make a good peach. But you know what the peach tree has to do to make a peach? Just stand there and put his roots down in the ground and let God provide and the farmer provide what he needs. You say, where are you going with this? You and I are God's fruit trees. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He said, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Are you bearing fruit for Jesus? A restoration of fruitfulness. If you're not bearing fruit for Jesus, you say, I just need to try harder. No, you don't need to try harder. Because that's what you do. You know what you really need to do? You just need to abide in Jesus. Just let Jesus be your source. Let Jesus be your supply. Let Jesus be your guide. Let Jesus be Lord of your life. And then you'll have that fruit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit. But then notice this last thing, a reputation of fidelity. Then all the nations. Now, look at that. You might want to circle that on your outline. That, that's worthy of circling right there. All. He didn't say then two or three nations. No, he said all the nations will consider you fortunate or you will be a delightful land. Now, I didn't have to do this, but I just put two more scriptures in here for the Old Testament just to illustrate what I'm trying to say. The Living Bible translates Deuteronomy 14, 23 this way. The purpose of tithing, giving 10% of your income, is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. Young people, if you ever hear anything Brother Mike says, hear this. Put God first in your life. Don't put your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your cell phone, your iPhone, your iPad, whatever it is, your Facebook page, whatever it is, your Twitter account. Don't put that before God. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first in your lives. And then Proverbs says this in the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. This past week, I've been watching with great interest what's been going on in the Ukraine and especially in Crimea. And I don't know if you saw it or not, but it sure caught my attention the other day when we said to Russia, you better not violate those Ukrainians' rights. I mean, boy, we, we were staunch. You better not violate those Ukrainians' rights. And you know what Prime Minister Putin said? He said, I'm ignoring you. And you know what China said? If Russia goes in there, we're on Russia's side. You say, where are you going with this preacher? I'm going to Ezekiel with it. Okay? I'm going to Ezekiel with it. Because you read the book of Ezekiel, it talks about 
a nation from the north. And it talks about Ross. And every Bible student knows that Ross means Russia. And the kingdom of the north is China. And who is Israel's only ally today? Us. But I want to tell you, we're not nearly as strongly tied to Israel as we have been in the past. And I've read the back of the book, and I'm not a prophet of doom and gloom, but I'm just telling you, Ezekiel said there's going to come nations from the north and invade Israel in the last days. And we told Russia, you better not go into the Ukraine. You better not go into Crimea. And you know what they said to us? Mind your own business. Say, Brother Mike, are you, oh, no, I am not worried. I'm not the least bit worried because I know who's got it under control. I know what's going to happen to me one day. One day, God's going to call me home. Or one day, God's going to call me in the rapture. One of those two things is going to happen. Has to be one of those two things. Had an old preacher friend that always closes message by saying, I'll meet you here, there, or in the air. I like that. I can say that, brother. I'll meet you here, or there, or in the air. Now, can you say that? Can you say that? In times like these, we need a Savior. In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. I can't understand why a person who would trust God with their immortal soul would not trust him with 10% of the blessings he bestows on them. Don't rob God. Keep the other commandments, but don't rob God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this strong word from Malachi. And Father, after you spoke through Malachi, you did not speak again through human lips or through a human pen for 400 years. And then John the Baptist came preaching, prepare the way of the Lord. Father, I pray today that we'd not hear 400 years of silence from heaven. But Lord, I pray we'd do the things you've told us to do as your children. Not because we have to because of the law, but because we want to because of grace. Now, Father, if there are people here that need a church home, I thank you for that lady who heard a sermon on tithing at the 8 o'clock service and came down and moved her letter. Lord, I know you're dealing in her life, and I thank you for sending her. Father, there may be people here today that are lost, and they say, all that preacher wants is my money, Lord. I hope they hear me say, don't give your money to God unless you've first given your heart to him. But Father, there are some Christians here today, and this has hit them right between the eyes. And they may be even mad about it. But Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict them that instead of being mad, they ought to get glad and start bringing the tithe into the storehouse, and then God will bless them. Now, Father, you know who needs to make a decision. You know what they need to do. I pray for the Holy Spirit to come and convict. Father, I pray that people will respond to the invitation, not because the pastor gives it, but because Jesus gives it. And because he gave his life for us, 
And how can we refuse him anything? Father, now bless this invitation. I pray, Lord, that souls will be saved. I pray, Lord, that backsliders will be reclaimed. I pray that people will come forward stating their faith in Christ, asking for baptism. And, Lord, I pray more than anything else that your will will be accomplished in the heart and life of every believer. And, Lord, even lost people who will come to be saved under the sound of my voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing our hymn invitation, Paula. Hymn 591. Hymn 591. Let's stand. Let's sing. The staff's coming down. We're asking you to get up out of your pew and come down. God leads you to make a decision. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.